0: Um, I'm a big advocate for bodily autonomy, but also um, like the positive ripple effect of your own personal power in having conversations with people and using your like sphere of influence to spread...
1: On this episode of the Multiamory podcast, we're talking about all the things you don't know you don't know about HIV. And to do that, we are talking to special guest Liz Sutherland of Positive Life New South Wales. Liz is an Australian, queer, polyamorous, vegan, and activist. Her professional work has been focused in the HIV community sector, as well as in rape and domestic violence and holistic healthcare management. We're very excited to have her on the show. Uh, And with that, let's get to the interview. All right, Liz, thank you so much for joining us. So to start out, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Quick introduction.
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me. Um, So my name is Liz Sutherland. Um, I work for Positive Life New South Wales, which is a Sydney-based peer-led community organization and NGO in um, the HIV sector. So. before we get started, I just want to quickly say that I'm speaking from a community standpoint, not from a medical professional um, or a HIV clinician standpoint. So none of what I'm saying is advice, um, so to speak.
1: Not, not medical advice. Okay. Not
0: legally binding advice. Okay. Got it. <laughs> um, and I also just wanted to put it out there that I don't have a lived experience of HIV. So I've worked in the community sector for a number of years um, and I work with a lot of amazing people living with HIV and... Um, and i can't i can't speak from that um lived experience standpoint um but i have had a thousands and thousands of of people um that have been involved in the in the organization and the sector um and with-
1: have shared their stories yeah. and yeah experiences. exactly so you were telling me earlier that like one of the really cool things about this organization that you work for is that it is peer-led.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Meaning that it's actually run by people living with HIV. Correct. Yeah. Right? So
0: everyone on our board um, is a person living with HIV. We have a really strong community consultation and engagement framework. So our community um, basically just leads exactly what they need and want us to do and action. Um, and we do that. A lot of the staff members involved um, are people living with HIV as well. So it's really person-centred.
1: Wow. That's very cool. Yeah,
0: it's really unique. I mean, there's there's other peer-led orgs all around the world. Um, I've just visited a bunch in Canada, um, nice. which is really cool. But, um, but yeah, it's really unique. Um,
2: Excellent. I think, yeah. Can I ask, Liz, what was it that has initially drew you to this kind of work?
0: Yeah. Um, so back in 2014, uh, someone that I love was diagnosed with HIV Um, Mm. and I felt very helpless in that space and I kind of knee-jerk reactioned uh, into the sector. So I'd had a bunch of experience in healthcare before that um, and I'd kind of wanted to get into the not-for-profit world um, and I'd had experience in rape and domestic violence as well. Um, So, yeah, it just kind of fit and I had a really great opportunity to come up with my boss Craig who is just the best person that I've ever met, and I'm just stretching that out as long as possible, um, even nice. when I'm traveling. <laughs> yeah,
2: Nice, excellent. And here you are. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we're really happy to have you on the show today because, you know, you definitely have such a wealth of knowledge that definitely the two of us do not have, and I think actually a lot of people of our generation don't have, because, I mean, so we're... You know, both Jason and I, and also Emily, even though Emily's not here this week, you know, we're all children of the 80s. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, during the 80s and early 90s, all the stories and information about HIV that we grew up with, it was usually like one part horror story and one part like mm-hmm. morality tale, right? Yeah, because it's usually. Yes, like, mm-hmm. exactly. The Grim Reaper, that's very much the image that sticks in my yeah. mind about it. It was often also wrapped up in this, like, very moralistic condemnation of gay men, or mm-hmm. of people who were taking injectable drugs, or of people who are sex workers. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that a lot of people of our generation, like, it, that all kind of condenses down to just assuming, like, okay, HIV equals scary, yeah. and and to be avoided at all costs, and that's where the conversation ends. Mm-hmm. Um and of course on the show, you know, we're always interested in opening uh, opening up these conversations, especially ones around sexual health and stigma and things like that. So can you talk to us about some of the most common misconceptions that you're fighting against on a regular
0: basis in this line of work? Yeah, sure. I mean, firstly, I just want to say like, I am in the exact same boat. I mean, before I started in the sector, I knew next to nothing about HIV mm-hmm. um, and I had how much can I swear on the show? I had a fucking yeah. shit sexual health That's education not- yeah, um, in it. Australia. Like, <laughs> and we got maybe half a lesson on HIV and it was literally just like, don't get it or you'll die. Um, right. and, and it's not really the reality of what we're facing today. So um, I guess one of the main things that pops into my head is that HIV is definitely not a death sentence anymore. A lot of people do know that, but, but it's still kind of, in the back of a lot of people's minds um and also one of the main things is around the fact that we have it in our heads that it is really about gay and bisexual and other men who have sex with men and injecting drug users and sex workers and we're finding a lot in western countries that the epidemiology is changing um, and evolving so that it's moving proportionally into um heterosexual people women um i mean historically The burden of HIV infection has disproportionately affected women worldwide um, if you're looking at not just the Western countries, but now it's moving that way as well um, in the West. So that is something to note um, is that people kind of assume and risk profile themselves that they're not at risk or that it's not something that they even need to think about uh, because it's fallen Mm -hmm. off our radar a little bit, you know
2: um right right yeah. yeah that makes sense that's yeah. interesting you're talking about people risk profiling themselves and i think that makes total <laughs> sense that it's you know based on just purely what you've been told either by you know insufficient informa- information information mm-hmm. in like your health class or just from what we get from pop culture that mm-hmm. i think it's so easy for people to paint themselves with a broad brush and i think usually yeah. to their own detriment because i think usually we you know people tend to make the assumption of like oh, this just doesn't apply to me
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's really I'm not ingrained. part
2: of X, Y, and Z demographics, so I don't even need to worry
0: about it, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's that conditioning, like unconscious bias and stuff, yeah. Um, and right. it's also reinforced by medical practitioners, which I'll hopefully be able to touch on a bit later.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll hopefully get to that. Um, You were mentioning to us earlier that um, people kind of assume that they don't know anyone with HIV also. And so people will make jokes about it or things like that. And um, I was kind of surprised by, by what you were saying that like you actually probably do. And it makes a lot of sense now that I think about it. um, But that hadn't, but that hadn't occurred to me before you mentioned that.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think like there are millions of people worldwide that live with HIV. um, And, don't get a tattoo on your forehead uh when you get it so it's one of those things like it's an invisible infection um you probably go to yoga with one of them or Mm. you know like it's it's something that it doesn't um it's it's not an isolated community um they're part of all our communities they're part of the poly community the lgbtqi plus community the kink community like yeah it's not it's not isolated at all
1: republicans
0: (laughs) jeez (laughs) I'm going yeah.
1: to it. <laughs> I'm gonna stay well away from that <laughs> Got it. Um and then and then what about um like chances of of what what do you, like what's the right thing to say is it ca- catching tra- transacting wait tra-
0: transacting like. Um yeah I mean I normally say transmission um okay. Yeah infecting uh, like it's it, it is an infection it's a virus Okay um All right. And yeah, I mean, we'll get into, I guess I really want to touch on terminology at some point, um, because there's a lot of misconceptions, uh, around that and confusion around language that we use, um, when we talk about HIV. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, should we get into some of that then now?
0: Yeah.
2: If you want. (laughs) Yes. Well, I don't know why you're asking me, but yes.
1: (laughs) um so let's just start at the beginning um well you know we're not gonna this whole episode isn't gonna be about you know just all of the different terminology and stuff but could you give us some of the what like what's the one? right like
0: um sure so I guess one of the things that I see a little bit of is like conflation between HIV and AIDS um and also the fact that there's sometimes confusion around the fact that they're both acronyms. Um, so I see like typed out online a a bit, um, capital A lowercase IDS as if it's like a a word, Mm. right. Um, (laughs) and it doesn't stand for something. So just like total basics, HIV is human immunodeficiency virus and AIDS is acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. So, um, you can have HIV and, um, never progress to an AIDS defining illness. Um, you can have HIV progress to AIDS and then bring your health back, um, to HIV again, like they're two kind of discrete things um, along the the same like palette, I guess.
1: Right. Um, so like HIV is the virus itself. Yeah. Whereas AIDS is like a particular set of conditions.
0: Yeah, kind of. Right? Yeah. Like, so like, like when you're, um, when the virus is in your body and you, um, it kind of attacks your immune system. So, um, your CD4 cells, and when they get to a certain point, um, down to a certain level then that's what we call like an AIDS-defining illness.
1: Got it. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, and that often comes with a lot of other like co- and multimorbidities, is what they're called, um, which sounds really scary, but just, you know, like other things like hypertension or different cancers or heart disease or stuff like that. Um, it's They're kind of associated with having an AIDS-defining illness is, is this swath of other things.
1: Okay, because they're related to the immune, like system. The immune system and yeah, how it's exactly. functioning. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Um, Are there any other terms that we should know?
0: Um, I guess the main one that comes up is around um, uh, the person-centered language of talking about people living with HIV. So the person comes first. It's a person living with HIV. Um, It's not, you know, they're not HIV. Um, They're the person first. Um, It's like talking about people with disability. Um, They're not defined by the disability. Um, Similarly, they're not defined by HIV. Um, so that's really important, I guess, to note. Yeah. Right, right.
2: So as you mentioned, you know, starting to talk about this, like, you know, some of the terminology can sound like a little bit scary or a little bit dark or whatever. Mm-hmm. But however, you know, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that as we mentioned closer to the top of this episode, that this definitely isn't the death sentence that it once was, that there mm-hmm. are a lot of options both for prevention and treatment and mm-hmm. turning things around. Can you walk us through some of those things?
0: Yeah. Um, so I guess... From back where we started in the 80s, they didn't really have any sort of biomedical intervention um, that was viable at the time. Now what we have um, is called combined antiretroviral therapy, um, commonly known as ART, A-R-T. So when you're diagnosed with HIV, um, you're prescribed a a treatment, a medication. Um, There's a whole range of different ones um, depending on the virus that you have and um, your kind of biological, physiological makeup. And and so you kind of take one or a few pills every day um, and you can get to the point where the virus is really controlled in your body. So mm. um, it's called undetectable. Um, it gets – basically the virus is, um, I guess, attacked by the treatment, by the medication, and it gets down so low that when you're tested, when the levels of viral load in your body is tested – it is literally undetectable. Um, so that's wow. classified as 200 copies per mil um, in the body. Um, but people are as low as like 20 to 50 um, wow. copies wow. per mil. And that's, I guess, one of the other misconceptions is that when you are undetectable, when the virus is undetectable in your body, it's untransmissible.
1: Wait, Whoa. so so you, this confused me before when you were talking about it before we recorded. So... If, if someone, um, if someone has HIV and they're taking the, the art, you know, medication and they've gotten this down to these undetectable levels, which things are the myth and which thing's the true thing?
0: (laughs) The truth. So the true thing is that when you're undetectable and they kind of give the, um, the like disclaimer that you need to be undetectable, maintain an undetectable viral load for six months and longer than six months. Right. Um the disclaimer asterisks, um, that then you can have condomless anal sex with someone 10,000 times and you cannot pass on HIV to that person.
1: And that's the truth. That's
0: the true thing, right?
1: So the misconception is the idea that like you're always infectious. like at risk. You're always Correct. infectious. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. So that's the myth. And I think the thing is that it's so new. Um, This, this biomedical intervention in the grand right. scheme of things is really new. And so it hasn't really sunk in, but there have been – very many studies around the world. Um, the one in Australia called the Partners Study um, is, is yet yeah, world-renowned and, and yeah, there's literally been zero cases of transmission um, in these instances wow. between positive and negative partners um, wow. with yeah. Yeah, condomless intercourse. And, yeah, I mean, it's obviously with the disclaimer that it's
1: like with maintain the, it the maintained undetectable right. viral load, yeah. Um, right. right. But, I mean,
0: statistically, like, it's very, very – Um, common to be able to get to an undetectable viral load as a person living with HIV. I think in Australia in New South Wales at the moment, um, it's sitting at like 90 something percent of people living with HIV who are diagnose and on treatment, really? they're able to maintain an untreatable viral load. Wow. That's, yeah. that's some really good odds.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my that's, goodness. That's really good. I almost wonder if <laughs> we could sort of armchair, you know, tablecloth math, wait, not tablecloth math. No, napkin, don't math. write on
2: the tablecloth, please.
1: <laughs> if it's a disposable, you know, like party no, tablecloth. Just get a napkin, okay, cocktail right.
2: napkin. Yeah. I'll do it
1: on the napkin here. All right. So on my napkin, I'm writing, you know, 10, 10 million times unprotected sex, not transmitting HIV. And then I'm looking at like my odds of having unprotected sex with someone who either doesn't know they have HIV or doesn't have it. It almost seems like my odds are better having sex with the person who has HIV and is treating it.
0: You're like one of the few people that gets there by themselves, right? So (laughs) that's always the example that I give is that you're really statistically safer in inverted commas to um, have like condomless intercourse with someone that is positive and they know their status and they're on treatment and undetectable versus someone that kind of has a head in the sand, they've never been tested, um, they don't know their status. Statistically, mm-hmm. like you're, yeah, it's wow. better odds for you.
2: I feel I feel that applies to like a lot of of sexually transmitted infections mm-hmm. as well, and I feel like yeah. that's something we try to drive home on this show as well. Mm-hmm. That it's like yeah, you're mu- you're running a much greater risk by being with someone who doesn't have this channel of communication Oh, exactly like someone who's kind of in denial about this than Mm -hmm. someone who even if they may be positive for something is like on top of it essentially and like has knowledge on their side
0: yeah that's the thing is that a lot of i mean the vast majority of people living with hiv that i know are very engaged in their health Mm -hmm. um you know they see their gps every three months um do you guys Mm -hmm. call them gps in the states or is it family doctor
1: uh, we, I mean, oh wait! You're Call, 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 call GP. Oh, GP. GP means right. Okay, we'll cool. Let it slide. <laughs> cool, as long as you know what I'm talking. We about. usually just say your doctor.
0: Right. Okay. Cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, there's acronym soup galore in the HIV uh-huh. sector. So of course. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm just aware of yeah the terminology <laughs> that I use. Um, so yeah, if at any point, just let me know.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, we'll we'll stop you if you say something. We're like, what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Um, I've lost my train of thought now.
1: Well, it's, yeah. So we were talking about like, you know, knowing your status oh, and, right. and engaged in their health. Right. And being, you know, like, and getting treatment. And that I think that is so interesting, because I remember as a kid in health class, one of the sort of messages they would tell you is, you know, to get tested. And I was always like, but why? Like, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. you know, the only outcome
1: is bad because now I know. Right. Whereas like th- that's a very good case for like, no, this is exactly why. Yeah. This is exactly why it's better to know.
0: I-, I think the thing is, it's twofold. It's better for your own health and it's better for your loved ones as well. Right. So mm-hmm. um, and that's I think the message that is getting lost a bit is that when you're um, a person living with HIV, it it really is to your benefit to get on treatment and to start treatment as early as possible. Um, because as soon as the virus is in your body, um, it does start doing damage and you can get it back. You can like kind of claw back the health, um, Mm -hmm. that you've lost from it. Um, but it's easier when you're treated earlier. Um, like literally same day we're we're advocating for that in Australia. Um, In our organization is same day treatment. If the person um, feels ready and is comfortable um, with the choices. Yeah.
2: Wow. Amazing. Well, I do want to talk a little bit about prevention, because I have definitely noticed, you know, as we were saying earlier, because the story has been so wrapped up in, like, oh, this is just something that, like, gay men, for instance, need to Mm -hmm. worry about, you know, I think there's definitely drawbacks from that story being around. However, I think the one positive side is I know that all of my gay male friends are definitely a lot more Mm well-versed in prevention methods for avoiding HIV. A lot of Mm -hmm. my straight friends have no freaking idea.
0: Um, So can you talk to us about like, what are the most
2: common uh, prevention methods that are out there? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I guess one of them that we've touched on is that U equals U, um, undetectable equals untransmissible. Um, Mm. So yeah, basically what we've said um, is that when the virus is controlled in your body, um, you essentially can't pass it on and that's that's blood to blood transmission um that's like sexual fluids mother to child um kind of the whole the it's whole everything. swath of it yeah wow. um yeah. one of the other big ones obviously is condoms and um, we still advocate for condom use um and Some of the other biomedical ones are around PrEP and PEP. So um, PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. Um, I generally equivalent this to... um, (laughs) Not a word. Um, To the contraceptive pill for women, basically. So like you take a pill every day um, and it prevents you from getting pregnant. You take a PrEP pill every day and it prevents you from acquiring HIV. Um, So I think like similarly with the pill what's the pill like 97 or 97 98% effective yeah. um yeah. similar odds with prep um so obviously with all of these prevention methods people are encouraged to use multiple techniques and multiple methods um pep is post exposure prophylaxis so that is a course um it's normally about a month long course and you have to start it within 72 hours of like a risk episode um so say you're like an emergency services worker um, and you have a needle stick injury, which by the way, a very low chances of um, actually acquiring HIV through that method. Very, very low. Um, But say, you know, you know definitively that the person um, that the risk episode occurred with is a person living with HIV. And
1: yeah. Right. So you kind of know that that was a risk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's like a definite risk episode. You can go on PEP. um, Yeah. course of a month as long as it's within 72 hours and that is basically prep, but after the fact.
2: Got it. I see. And can I ask, like, is there anyone in particular that you recommend, uh, you know, doing something like taking prep?
0: So in Australia at the moment, the, they kind of risk profile um, the groups. So we had only recently have we started having Medicare eligibility for prep um, for if you're given a script by your doctor and normally the doctors are going to risk profile you. So it's around normally gay, bisexual and other men who have sex with men, um, sex workers, injecting drug users, um, people with partners from high prevalence countries, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So they're normally the populations. I mean, if you if you have a partner and you know that they're HIV positive, um, that's obviously a situation where you would
1: <laughs> right. consider
0: going on PrEP. Right. Um, right. right.
1: Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, so let's, while, while we're on this subject, let's move to just kind of transmission in general. So this is something that I, um, so I actually, this would have been, gosh, like 13 years ago, I think I worked for, um, an HIV AIDS awareness nonprofit in Russia, actually. Oh. Uh, and it was cool. And I'm sure that all of my knowledge is super outdated now, uh, cause it was like 13 years ago. Um, but you know, we we were kind of doing like legislation stuff, but the department that I was in was more like media, public relations, public awareness kind of stuff. Uh, we did like one of those bracelet campaigns, like right after Live Strong got so popular. You know, we had mm-hmm. we had our own Kasiat uh bracelets. Anyway, not important. Um, <laughs> one of the things though that we would talk about is how um, just how misinformed the general public was about how you get HIV. And I remember one of the statistics that came up from one of the studies that we were reading was about people believing that um, they're like, oh, well, it's transmitted by blood. So you can get it from like a mosquito bite, right? Like if a mosquito bit someone with HIV and Mm, then it bit you, right? So I know there's, or like that people would think you could get it from, you know, shaking someone's hand, right? Which if if we all saw that uh, Tom Hanks movie, what's the one I'm thinking of? The Tom Hanks movie where he has HIV. Do you remember the one I'm talking about?
2: The Philadelphia story? Yes. Is that that one?
1: Yes, Philadelphia okay. I've story. Never seen,
2: I've never seen it. That was purely a shot in the dark.
1: Oh, my God. It's it's so good. At least I remember it being really good when I watched it. Uh, anyway, but in that, you know, like, people wouldn't shake his hand if they knew that he had HIV and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So, what give us some real talk here.
0: So, like, still a misconception, right? Like, yeah. Um, I guess like one story that pops into my head is from my boss at Positive Life. Um, he's very out and open about his HIV status, um, and at one point um, a couple of years ago, he was he walked into a pharmacy in Sydney, like in a city Sydney, um, a very gay friendly area, and he walked up to the counter. It was very busy, like after work hours. He got to the front of the counter, handed in a prescription, not even for HIV medication, like for a totally different medication, like I think headache pills or something. Um, and you know when your pharmacist asked you, um, are you on any other medications?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So she kind of asked it out loud in public. He was open about it and he was like, yep, HIV medication. And he looked around him, literally people like (gasps) away from him, like stepped away from him as if they could like breathe in the HIV. Um, And I mean, just imagine for a second that this is a person that was diagnosed six months ago. And Mm. they were still dealing with a whole bunch of internalized stigma. They were like terrified to tell their parents. They Mm. were really ashamed about it. And, and then that happened. Like it just, it boggles. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So definitely cannot get it from the air um, or shaking hands with (laughs) someone. Um, So basically transmission routes is that it is um, uh, blood and um, like sexual fluids um, and also like rarely now, um, but like mother to child transmission, um, so say like from, um, breastfeeding for instance, um, uh, so it's, uh, and blood in terms of like, you have to have like, a, a abrasion, it has to be like blood to blood, right? Mm-hmm. So like if you're sharing um, needles, um, as an injecting drug user, we obviously advocate for um, right. self-determination, inject Away, but do it safely, right? Um and don't share needles, that sort of thing. Um get new fits and kits and stuff.
1: But like if someone were to like bleed on you and you were helping right, like someone's bleeding on the street and you're like trying to help them. Yeah.
0: If it- you have like abrasions mm-hmm. all over your skin and like there's a potential for blood to get into your blood system directly, um, or onto like mucous membranes, um, then that's a potential transmission route. So like yeah, like blood to blood um
1: but just like touching blood isn't
0: no exactly yeah you definitely wouldn't get it from that um and again like that then goes back to the fact that is that person even infectious um what's the viral load at you know Mm -hmm. um so even if it is a person living with hiv you have to take that into consideration now it's not just like they have hiv it is possible to get it from their blood because it might not even be yeah
1: right yeah right so, all right, like, I want to ask a lot of super technical questions, and I know you said right up front, like, you're not yeah. on the medical side of this, yeah. you know, you're more on the community side of it, um, but just, um, uh, like, to 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 get people more of, like, a realistic sense of, you know, like, you mentioned condoms, um, that... Like, questions that people will often have is, like, oral sex, for example. Yeah, okay. Um,
0: So, with oral sex, there are no documented cases of it, um, as far as I'm aware, like, worldwide. Um, It's technically possible if you have, like, a whole bunch of open sores in your mouth, um, and you're performing oral sex on someone, and they're, like, yeah, they're, like, sexual fluids come into contact with those open source like with those abrasions technically could be possible um but again but no good, documented cases yeah. um okay. it's like really not a thing as,
1: so that yeah. was one of the things that that i learned back when i was doing this kind of work right. too is just that like no actually that that doesn't happen no so um, yeah. i was just making sure that was still the case
0: <laughs> yeah so i mean like
1: and what if i want to drink someone's blood
0: blood play right <laughs> okay we don't kink shame here totally a thing um <laughs> So, um, I,
1: if you don't I, don't know, I guess fine. theoretically, yeah, I'm, just... I, I'm not
0: sure. No, I, I think it has to be, um, like a mucous membrane, which I, mm. they're not in your mouth. Right. Mucous membranes are.
1: I yeah. I feel like I'm, the mouth is kind of like an in-between. Yeah. Though, I'm
0: not hundred percent sure. I, yeah. If you were like injecting someone else's blood directly into your bloodstream, um, yeah. then yes, that would be a possibility. <laughs> It gets shaking Yeah, <laughs> <All right. laughs> no, we're just getting into all the like really, really off the wall, very niche.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that's that's great to know, and I think that a lot of people don't don't realize those things. Um, mm-hmm. Just about like what what how can you actually get it? Like how risky is it to like have friends and cuddle with a person with mm-hmm. HIV? And basically, not, like, at, all. not at all. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess like the main ones, obviously, is um, anal intercourse, um, and then vaginal intercourse. To an extent, um, but not quite as much. Um, And then injecting drug, like sharing injecting equipment. Yeah. Yeah. They're the main ones.
2: to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code MULTI. So I feel like we've definitely kind of had a recurring theme here of, you know, talking about misconceptions and Mm -hmm. separating, you know, stigma, you know, from what facts are and and what the truth is and what the myth is and stuff like that. And, you know, when you first reached out to us, you, you used this really beautiful turn of phrase, which is you mentioned you know, moving people from, or turning conditioned ignorance into conscious awareness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, doing the work that you do in community, I think especially working with people, you know, who are not HIV positive, but like the community around them, like what have you seen the benefits being of like people actually learning about this, even if they themselves like aren't positive or don't feel like it affects
0: them directly? Yeah. Um, So I guess that's one of the things that, I find the majority of people involved in the activism space or any sort of um, like off-centre community um, is more in tune with, is, is kind of breaking down those walls of um, ingrained ignorance and like our conditioning by society um, <clears throat> to getting to a point of consciousness um, and... And more awareness, and and I think that then leads pretty naturally down into consideration um, and compassion for other people. Um, And I think that in any form of activism, that has a flow and effect not only for yourself but for everyone around you. Um, So, um, I mean, for instance, like, we've really as a society moved away from things like using gay as a synonym for bad. Um, Mm. We've we're moving away from um rape jokes for instance because you never kind of know what someone what their lived experience is around you um and and i think that that's hopefully moving into the direction and in the same way for people living with hiv um it's just more of an understanding that we don't know what we don't know and Mm. once you have that conscious awareness and then you're like oh shit like okay HIV is something that I don't know about. Like, maybe I can inform myself. Maybe I can like listen to this podcast, or do a bit of research, or go onto like a website, do a bit of digging, um, and and then that to me uh, empowers yourself. Um, I'm a big advocate for bodily autonomy, um, which hopefully I can get to in a little bit. Okay. And then, but also um, like the positive ripple effect of your own personal power in having conversations with people. And using your, like, sphere of influence to spread positivity um, mm. and to spread, like, awareness uh, among different people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in any form of activism. But, yeah, I'm super passionate about the HIV space, obviously. Right.
2: No, I, that's really beautiful. And I think it makes so much sense that it's, you know, it seems like all of this work, whether it's about HIV or, again, any other, like, kind of marginalised group or, or human condition, that it is really about, like, humanising and normalising, mm-hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, like, like putting a face and being able to, I guess, make it easier for there to be compassion and empathy and understanding and things like that. And again, like if people are kind of operating under this assumption that like, I don't know anyone with HIV, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to have empathy, Mm -hmm. you know, but being able to shine a light on the fact that like, no, you definitely do.
0: Yeah.
2: I think it really opens up that channel a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the people
1: you do know who have it don't feel like they can tell you because you don't think you know anyone who has it, <laughs> right? right? It's like, right, right. <laughs> start to break that cycle. Right, um, right, right. I just I just had a sort of a quick um, question for you about what this has been like in Australia specifically. So I know that for us in the United States, it was like when this was first coming about, it was this thing where it's like only gay men. And so it was easy for people to go like, well, whatever, it serves them right. Or it's this mm-hmm. other community, right? It's this- Yeah, value judgment. Right, others. And then- Magic Johnson was diagnosed with HIV and, and, you know, he was a celebrity, he was a basketball player. Yeah. Um, and so all of a sudden it, like there was a face for it. Like it became real. And I know that in certain other countries, like when I was working in Russia, there wasn't anything like that. And there, the population that started contracting at first was intravenous drug users. And so I, I think even more so than gay men, it was like, well, judge, 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 that's your own problem. Um, and I was just curious in Australia, was there kind of a, was that a struggle like not having a face for it or?
0: I mean, I guess I, I think so. Australia is so influenced by American pop culture. Um, that so. We just kind of get the trickle down of whatever happens for you guys, really. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, yeah, it has historically um, proportionally um, affect, disproportionately affected gay Men um, right. and other men who have sex with men, um, and yeah, but but it's changing. I mean, all of the stuff that we've spoken about, like all of the different prevention techniques and how engaged the community is that has historically been affected, they've gotten on that bandwagon, and and that's kind of why the rates are going down in that space because they're protecting themselves and they're protecting each other,
1: mm-hmm. um, mm. and
0: they're really engaged in in their health and. Um, And then I guess it's, um, can I go into the, like the other, this, the space around, um, heterosexual people and women now, right? Yeah, Um, definitely. So, I mean, one of the big driving forces around this, um, in Western countries at the moment is around the fact that a lot of people that are living with HIV that are heterosexual or that are women, um, by the time they're diagnosed with HIV, they've generally been living with it for four or more years. Wow. Um, which means that they um, have had the virus in their system for X amount of time. Um, it's been replicating in their body, so they're getting sicker and sicker. Um, and that means that it, they may not have been aware of the fact that they have been passing it on to other people, other partners and loved ones in their lives. Um, and there's this problematic terminology that we use in the sector called late presenters, um, which I hate. But essentially what it means um, – is that like the, the sector and, and the medical professionals kind of say like they've presented to us late. And now we're like diagnosing they've, they've them presented at a
1: themselves late stage. to us for late. Not that yeah. like symptoms have presented late, but like yeah, they've, they've present, Yeah, right. Oh, that's fucked up. So it's their like it's yeah, so it's like
0: on their yeah. behavior or and their choices. Yeah, and however, like what huh. we see actually is that they present again and again to medical practitioners, mm. but the questions never asked. Could this be HIV? Because there's this risk profiling that happens for medical practitioners a lot of the time, that. Um, You know, like, so I am a big advocate for practicing what I preach. Like I get a full sexual health screen every six months. And, um, and uh, like, so I, my regular doctor was on holidays the last time that I got this done and my like replacement doctor, I kind of went in and, and was like, okay, I need this sexual health screen. I want the full screen. I want it including like the hepatitis alphabet. I want HIV. I want the whole thing. And she looked at me and said, HIV, why would you need that? You don't need that test. And mm, um, wow. and and then I was like, okay, first of all, I work in the sector. <laughs> like, I, blah, 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 I kind of went on my, little, my blurb. <laughs> and then she was like, oh, you work in the sector, so you work with people living with HIV. Have you eaten any food that anyone um, oh with HIV has prepared uh. for you? And I was... Shocked. So this was in inner city Sydney.
1: But did you like c- call your your gang of coworkers to be like, we need to come educate this clinic?
0: Oh no, I did it myself. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was one of those things where there is still a lot of misconception around um, medical practitioners as well. Um, and the thing is, you know, you can't know everything. Um, the general practitioners and and it's it's just a case of trying to upskill um, everyone in the community, um, including medical practitioners. So, yeah, I'm trying not to value judgment on that but as well. But, um, yeah, well, I guess that I'm... so, I
2: mean, it, it totally makes sense because I think, like, we've already statistically seen, like, there have been studies performed. I, I don't know if this has been worldwide or at least in the States that both women and people of color mm-hmm. have to provide like the same complaint to a doctor many more times mm-hmm. than say like a white man does before yeah. the doctor will actually like take them seriously or order the test that they want or yeah. give them the medication that they need or actually diagnose what they have um that there is this kind of undercurrent of dismissing or devaluing you know the opinions of someone who is a woman or a person of color at least within the medical sector so it mm-hmm. makes total sense
0: yeah, a bodily experience that, of pain. And, yeah, yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah,
2: exactly. That would be the result is that it's, you know, it's not, yeah, that someone presents multiple times, but then it's the doctor who finally decides like, oh, they presented late.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's so fascinating. Yeah. I mean, like even non-HIV related, like um, maybe six or seven years ago, I was on um, this medication for my arthritis and it was an immunosuppressant and I was just sick constantly, right? I was mm-hmm. sick for about four months, um, four or five months. And And I kept going to the doctor again and again, like, what is wrong with me Um, asking for these tests? And they just kept being like, oh, it's probably the flu just sent me away with some generic um, antibiotics, right? Finally, um, they did some tests. It turns out that I'd had pneumonia for the full four months. I ended up breaking three ribs from coughing, like all the stress. Like, it was so intense. But they just didn't didn't believe me. Like, they didn't believe that my pain was, like, X. They just kind of assumed that it was
1: something else.
0: Um, And that's, like, a micro level, like, such a tiny thing. Uh, But it happens all the time. Um. Wow.
2: So I guess that's the thing, because I, I feel like I've seen people come up against this as well, uh, you know, not just with HIV, but with particularly getting, you know, getting a more complete panel for any kind of sexual health testing. That mm-hmm. even with HSV, mm-hmm. that a lot of doctors will just straight up yeah. refuse, you know, unless you have some kind of really concrete, tangible reason why I should be testing you. Mm-hmm. Um and so, I mean, what would you suggest for people when they're in that situation of a doctor's trying to tell them, like, "Oh, you don't need an HIV test" or "You don't need an HIV test," like, like you know? Uh, it, and I think so many people are inclined to just be like, "Oh, the doctor says so." Okay, yeah, you know, I don't you know, really, really have space it. to argue. Yeah. yeah,
0: and and that's the thing. That's like they're holding that power um, over us. And I guess that, that's the first thing that I want to touch on is the fact that um, in life, the only thing that we truly own is our bodies. Nothing else. Like the thing that we have autonomy and power over is our body. Um, but so much of the time, especially if there's like intersectional factors at play, um, like being a woman or being a person of color um, or in any other kind of marginalized group um, besides like straight, white, cis man, um, is that that power is so often kind of wrestled from us. Um, so it's finding a way to bring back that power and um, take control of your health and your bodily autonomy. Um, and it really is a personal thing, you know, like I, I can't give one specific answer of say this thing and it's going to magically make your doctor do <laughs> this thing, right? Um, uh-huh. It's finding a doctor that is willing to listen to you and is willing to um, kind of be open to you being the expert in your own health um, because so much of of the medical professional sector um, is swept away in they're the experts, right? Um, but, yeah. but, yeah, we're the experts in ourselves and in our own bodies and in our own health. Um, so I guess it's just in terms of being informed, being aware of, of what, um, you know, like if you got a test six months ago, go to your cupboard and find the paperwork and see the names of what you were tested for. Mm. And if you weren't mm. tested for HIV, if you weren't tested for Hep B, if you weren't tested for HSV, like whatever it is, go back to your doctor and, and just say like, hey, look, This is what I was tested for last time. Write down, like, this is what I want to be tested for this time, please. See if that works. Hopefully it does, you know? Yeah. Right, right.
1: (laughs) I mean, I suppose it wouldn't hurt to maybe lie a little bit that you're at a higher risk if your doctor, like, if you're in a situation where you can't just change doctors, because I realize Mm -hmm. that's more complicated than it should be for a lot of people. But, you know, to be like, you know, even if you're a woman, to be like, oh, well, Some of my male partners have sex with men, right? That'll probably get Mm -hmm. you the test, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. I've heard from some people that they use the trick of, like, if they ask for a particular test and their doctor says no, that then they'll ask the doctor, like, okay, will you please write down in my chart patient requested such and such test, doctor denied it. Like, will you write it down? And often they'll be like, okay, we'll give you the test because they don't want to be caught later on, you know, if like you, Mm -hmm. you know, if you did test positive later on or something, Mm -hmm. exactly, they don't want that documented that they denied you testing for it. So I've, I mean, it's so weird. It feels like we shouldn't have to be like (laughs) tricksy and manipulative, but like if that's what works, you know, that's Mm -hmm. what works.
0: And I think also we have a bit of um, power and leeway to educate um, medical professionals, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know they're people as well. Um, and generally speaking, people are pretty amenable to um, growing and learning and changing and informing themselves. Um, so i'm I am hopeful that people just are operating from that level of they just don't know. Um, or they've had information, you know, they went to to medical school 20 years ago and they just haven't had a professional development course around HIV. Like, you know, they have so many PD days on so many different topics. They can't know everything, you know, like, so maybe it's an opportunity to also like pass it forward, use your sphere of influence. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. I like that idea of being able to empower people even when they're entering into this dynamic that historically we're so used to being so imbalanced, you mm. know, of like the doctor knowing everything and us knowing nothing. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think it is good to to carry that sense of empowerment into a lot of medical interactions.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. So as we're coming to the end here, um, what would be sort of the main takeaways that you would wish that everyone listening would have and that everyone else in the world would then you know, get from them? Like, what's the knowledge? Like what are the main takeaways you want everyone in the world to have?
0: Okay. Okay. Takeaways. Um, I would say that everything starts from that consciousness level, right? So become conscious of the things that you don't know. Um, know your status, get tested frequently. Um, if you do receive a diagnosis of HIV, get on treatment, um, and remain engaged in your health and, and treat consistently. Um, regardless of whether you have HIV or not, um, inform yourself, really, like, empower yourself with knowledge um, because knowledge is power, right? Um, And then have conversations. Just I I have this um, T-shirt that I wear um, a lot of the time back in Sydney that literally just says HIV um, on the front of it Mm. and, like, the looks that I get sometimes walking down the street with that thing on. um, But it started some really interesting conversations. um, And, you know, like, that's not what... Everyone is going to be comfortable doing, but using whatever you feel comfortable with to s- just have conversations with the people in your life, like your friends, your parents, your family, like your partners, whatever it is. Um,
1: and the one I always recommend to listeners of our show is my favorite conversation starter: is to go, "I was listening to this great podcast the other day, <laughs> and they did this episode about HIV. It was fascinating. I learned all this stuff I didn't know." Let's right, and then you're you're not the one having to like. Come up with some like reason why, like I really want to talk to you about this thing. You could just be like, you know, because we do that. Like, say I was listening to this this thing on the radio or this thing on TV. Use this podcast as that,
0: right? It doesn't have to be like your personal story either. That's the thing. Like, you know, Mm. you don't you don't have to have breast cancer to be like interested in like breast cancer prevention or like talking about. You know, like the it's this misconception that you have to have this thing to be interested in this thing. Like that's Mm. just not the Mm. case at all. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, Looks can good. you please tell us where can people find out more about this work that you do uh, and more about you?
0: Sure. Um, so the organization that I work for is Positive Life New South Wales. Um, we're Sydney-based. So um, I guess you can just Google Positive Life New South Wales. Um, I think it's positive life
1: NS, NS,
0: nsw.org.au, um, maybe. I think something like that, yeah. <laughs> something like that. Just Google it. Um, And there's, like, an Instagram and a Twitter and a Facebook for POS Life New South Wales. Um, But really, most places around the world, um, particularly in Western countries, have their own um, peer-led, like, POS organization.
1: And is that the thing to search for, is, like, peer-led?
0: I mean, I'm a big fan of of the peer-led space because I think there's a lot of power um, in, like, the meaningful um, and greater involvement and engagement of people living with HIV and kind of, yeah, like, leading that space for themselves. So... That's what I would aim for. But there's a lot of non peerled stuff as well that has really good content online. Um, a lot of support services and networks and stuff as well.
1: Got it. Was there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners before you go?
0: Um, oh, one thing is that we've got um, World AIDS Day coming up on December 1st every year. Um, so that's a really good way to get involved, to Google like, events that are happening around World AIDS Day in your local area. Um, the other thing is that for Australian um, listeners, there's um you may not be aware but the australian government is bringing out um a my health record system um and it is fairly um problematic in a few different ways um which i won't get into but there's a lot of information um online particularly on the positive life website we've made a number of submissions about that into the my health record system um i'm pretty sure the opt out date has already passed um but there are ways that you can kind of place restrictions on your My Health record um, because everyone now in Australia will have a, um, a record that is v- quite accessible and public with all of your health information in it in Australia. Mm. Wow. Um, so just inform yourself about what the My Health record system is and what information there is on you, on your health, um, that the government and a lot of people have access to.
1: Wow. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Liz.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you all so much for joining us. Um, I feel like this was a particularly valuable and important episode. I know I learned a ton from this episode, and I'm sure that a lot of you did as well. And we're really curious to find out what that is. Like, what surprised you in this episode? What are some things that you've learned? What are some things you already did know that you were really happy are getting shared with more people? Um, Is there anything else you want to add to the conversation? The best place that you can share those thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook, discourse, and Discord forums. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info@MultiAmory.com. Leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-05. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on Multiamory.com.
2: Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just
1: to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your
2: favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, with daily
1: bonuses. That's your brighten your day, lop.